I'll give you a second to, to get that pulled up. I know many of you do that before we even get started, but uh, you can turn your Bibles over to Acts chapter 15 this morning if you uh, follow along there. I want to thank you again for being here. Um, if you're a guest, thank you for being our guest. Normally it doesn't happen like that, but uh, somehow I didn't get that uploaded this morning. But um, I'm excited for uh, getting back in this. Last week we had our theme casts and uh, want to keep that before us all the time. You know, the, the theme this year is Raised with Christ. And uh, that's something that, as, as you were here last week, if you, did, if you weren't here last week, go on to our YouTube channel and watch that. Uh, raised with Christ is who we are, and that should mean something. Our life should look like we've been raised with Christ, and we saw all those things that follow after that. And one of those things, and we sang the song this morning, you know, Holy Ground, and uh, it talked about, you know, fear uh, fails and, and, and all, all the things that this world is throwing at us. And it, it's encouraging for us to know that Jesus is on the throne, uh, that we have nothing to fear. We have everything to look forward to. And again, that's what that scripture says is to set your, your mind on things above, to set your, uh, to, to seek things above. And that's, that's what it's about, living on this earth with an eternal purpose. And again, that's what Raised with Christ reminds us of. And so hopefully all, all this year in 2022, no matter what we face, no matter what we go through, uh, as Brother Nosh prayed, uh, through the valleys, on the mountaintops, that we'd remember that we're raised with Christ. But I'm excited to get back into um, our study on the church. And uh, it's, it's such an important thing because we're walking through trying to find those points that we can gather from this first church as we believe that we're the last church and making sure that we as the last church uh, are at least uh, falling in line with the first church, what they were doing right after Jesus ascended, right where he gave the, the great commission. And uh, again, us at the end, we should, be, we should be right in line with what the church was and what the church is supposed to be uh, for all ages. And so in the last message, we saw two, I think, very vital points. Number one is this, if you add works to grace, you miss salvation. We know uh, that's something that a lot of people still struggle with. And I'll be honest with you, we've had people come to our church and go through our, our new members class and really think that there has to be something attached to grace and faith for salvation. And there have been people that have thought maybe they need to be baptized so that they are completely saved or they need to join the church to be completely saved. And again, if we add anything to grace, then we miss salvation. It's all God's grace. There's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can uh, uh, add to, uh, to, to to enhance that. It's free from God. Uh, it didn't cost him. I mean, it, it did cost him, but um, it didn't cost us anything. It, it, it is all his work and it's all his grace. Number two is this. If you get stuck on something emotional, you can miss the spirit. And uh, again, the Pharisees, the Judaizers, the religious crowd specifically of that day, they were influencing others. And, and who they were mainly influencing were those new believers, and specifically new Gentile believers. And they were saying that, okay, th you can be saved, you can put your faith in Christ, but you also have to still be circumcised and you still have to follow the law of Moses. Again, they were, they were adding works to grace, but not only that, they were, they were emotionally stuck on, on that uh, history or that, that legacy, that tradition that had been derived out of man's uh, own mind and his own heart. But we know what Scripture says in Ephesians chapter 2. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one can boast. Again, there were some even in the church 
they were, they were mostly tied to what Judaism had become. And, and so because they were so stuck on this emotional, uh, you know, and attached emotionally to this tradition, they were missing a, a lot. And so the debate arose and there was a, a big, strong issue uh, pop up inside of this new church. The, the, the word of God was spread, souls were being saved, churches were being started. Amazing things were happening in the world for the cause of Christ. But this question popped up. Do Gentile believers, and bigger, does everybody need to keep the law, even if they've accepted salvation, by grace through faith in Christ alone? It's something that, that needs to happen. So again, that was the issue that popped up. And so chapter 15 of Acts gives us what we know as the Jerusalem Council. And this is, what, this is what we're looking at this morning, and this is where we pick up. And so Acts chapter 15, verse 6, the apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by the mouth of the Gentiles we would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Nobody was able to keep the law. No, not, not our fathers, not even us. Nobody could keep what you're saying they are supposed to keep. But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. Look what happens. And all the people kept silent. And they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And after they had stopped speaking, James, who was the pastor of the first church there in Jerusalem, answered and said, Brethren, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name from among the Gentiles. With this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written in the prophets. After these things, this is what it says, I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen, and I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who makes these things known from long ago. So the Jews, again, had completely missed what God had spoken through the prophets about the mystery of the Gentiles. Now the mystery of the Gentiles were being unfolded right before their eyes. And many of these religious leaders, even in the church, were missing what God had already said he was going to do. Again, Jesus came on the scene and the Bible says in John chapter 1, he came into his own and his own received and not. But now they missed everything that was to be the church, which included the Gentiles. Again, but he had already said it. He had already said what he was going to do and how he was going to do it. Verse 19, he, James continues on. Therefore, it is my judgment as the pastor that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles. We don't need to add something to them. If they're Gentiles and they come to God through faith 
in Christ alone, by the grace of God alone, then we don't need to add anything to them just because they're Gentiles and we're Jews and, and they're different and it's a, a different era. We don't need to add anything to them, but that we write to them. This is what we need to do. We have a responsibility as Jews and specifically as elders and apostles, as leaders of the church, we have a responsibility to give them instruction. So what we need to do is we need to write them and tell them they abstain from things contaminated by idols. The reason why this is so important is because this is what these people lived in. They were pagans. They, they, they worshiped false gods. They, they experienced um, all kinds of wickedness and, and, and just vile living. And, and again, a lot of it surrounded by uh, pagan worship and false idol worship and, and sacrifices to idols. And Paul, again, Paul had to write letters to, to different churches, Gentile churches, uh, to address a lot of this as well. But this is what James is saying. We need to write to them, make sure that they don't get pulled into um, bringing their, their pagan traditions or maybe what they have experienced and in their mind and their hearts think worship is and bring it into the church and worship the one true God. So we need to make sure that, that they set that straight. Well, this is an interesting point I want to make clear. Um, this is not to, 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 to knock. Um, I know some people have Catholic families, but I know we've got a lot of people who are former Catholics who've been saved and, and stuff like that. But uh, in church history, this is one of the things where uh, the, I think the Catholic church really went off. Um, because it was, it was a, an effort to uh, conquer, if you will, uh, some, some areas and some lands for Christ. And in doing so, what they ended up doing in getting people to join the, the Catholic Church was adopting some of their pagan uh, ways and pagan rituals. And again, this is just church, church history. Um, but this is something mankind has, has struggled with even to this day, is bringing what 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 they want and what we think or what the world says and then bringing it into the church and saying this is, this is how we're going to worship God. And so again, this was something that was addressed back then. We need to write to them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols and from fornication because this is something that they were practicing back then. It was okay to have multiple partners and, and partners outside of marriage and, and all that kind of stuff. So they need to, to keep away from all of that and from what is strangled and from blood. For Moses, from ancient generations, has in every city those who preach him, since he is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Then, after he said all these things, it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the, with the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. Again, the issue arose there in Antioch. Antioch sent them down to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, uh, the, all the elders and apostles with James the pastor, they, they came up with this solution. They said, okay, we're going we're gonna to take some faithful men, some men who are our representatives, elders from among us, and we're going to send them back with Paul and Barnabas so that they can give the message from us to these Gentile churches, Gentile believers. So this is who they sent. Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brethren. These were leaders. And they sent this letter by them. This is what the letter said. The apostles and brethren who are elders to the brethren Antioch and Syria and Cilicia who are from the Gentiles. Greetings. Since we have heard that some of our number, Jewish uh, believers, to whom we gave no instruction, we didn't tell them to do this, have disturbed you with their words, unsettling your souls, 
You've heard the gospel. You've heard that it was by grace through faith alone. But you had people come in and say that you had to be circumcised and follow the law of Moses too. They've, they've, they've disturbed you with their words. They've unsettled your souls. Now, verse 25, it seemed good to us, having become of one mind to select men to send to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus. Therefore, we have sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will also report the same things by word of mouth. So they're not just going to read this letter, they're going to confirm this. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials, that you abstain from things sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication. If you keep yourselves free from such things, you'll do well. Farewell. So, when they were sent away, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. When they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Judas and Silas, also being preachers themselves, prophets themselves, encouraged and strengthened the brethren with a lengthy message. <laughs> See, this is why preachers have liberty to preach long. It's in the Bible. Paul preaches, people fall out of the window and, and, and die. You got to be resurrected from the dead. So it's okay. Anyway, verse 33. And uh, after they had spent time there, they were sent away from the brethren. They were sent away from the brethren in peace to those who had sent them out. So they went back to the church in Jerusalem. But it seemed good to Silas to remain there in Antioch. But Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch too. And they, be, they kept teaching and preaching with many others also the word of the Lord. And out of, there, there are so many points. We could, we could take, I mean, months on this section from the Jerusalem Council. So many points to bring out of this. But I, I want to draw some out, some, some, some important points that um, the Lord laid on my heart. Uh, and that point number one there in your notes is God is pleased and he's in it. When issues are resolved in unity, God is pleased and he is in it. When issues are resolved in unity. You know, there's a, there's a temptation um, that, you know, well, yeah, that's fine and well and good. You can believe what you want to believe. And then, and then the heart still be not in unity. Uh, the, no, matter, no matter where these people came from, what ended up happening is they came together in unity to say, this is what God has said. And so we need to align ourselves with what God has said. And again, that's such a vital thing. There's, there's no doubt we are going to have issues today. And there's no doubt we have issues today. In this room, there's no question. There are people, uh, not just talking about worldly things, but even, even things about Christianity that we may differ on. There are different thoughts or different opinions, different, different things. But it's so important that we understand we need to resolve them, any issues, differences, disagreements, debates, the way that God has already given us a prescription to resolve them. If it gets to the point that we have an issue with somebody, somebody has offended us, somebody has, we, we've been hurt or whatever, we have Matthew chapter 18. Follow that. Follow Matthew chapter 8. Go to them in love. Pray about it before you go. If God has released you from it already, you don't even have to go to them. But if you can't get, get done with it, go to that person in love with the spirit of love and reconciliation. Tell them how they have offended you and make sure that you are ready to forgive them and let it go and be done with it. 
If they say, get out of here, you're crazy, I don't want to talk to you anymore, get out of my face, you know. If their heart's wrong and they don't receive you, the Bible says that you need to take, some, you know, somebody else with you. And we, we always understand that in the context of leadership. Uh, so it's important to, I think, to take a, a deacon, an elder, uh, a group leader, a spiritual leader, uh, somebody with you and go back to that person and say, hey, you know, I know I talked to you before, and I'm not trying to make a big deal out of this, but I do want to make sure that our relationship is right. Um, this is what happened before, and you told me to get out of your face. <laughs> and so I, I just wanted to come back to you and say, hey, this is, this is what we need to do. If they still say, get out of my face, I want to hear you, I don't care who you bring with you, I don't want to have anything to do with you, uh, then it has to come to the pastor, it has to come to the, the, the elders, it has to become more of a church discipline issue. Then we have to address them. And if they still are unrepentant, the Bible says that we are to cut off fellowship from, from them until the point that they do repent and re fellowship is restored. But it's such an important thing that we keep that spirit that we read about last week in Colossians chapter 3 in all, all things. Verse 12, so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And here's verse 13, bearing with one another, going f far beyond. You know, think about how God is forbearing with you. How many times do you mess up? How many wrong thoughts do you have? How many times do you not witness when you should have witnessed? How many times do we, a, a day do we miss the mark? And God is long-suffering with us. He is forbearing with us. And when we realize what we've done and we've offended him, when we go to him, we say, God, I'm so sorry. I had the opportunity and I, I miss it. And it breaks my heart that I didn't witness or it breaks my heart that I, that, I, that I had those thoughts about that person cutting me off. Or, and God, the Bible says he's faithful, forgive us. That's the same spirit that we are supposed to have with one another, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, also, you uh, so also should you. And he says, beyond all these things, put on love. That's the perfect bond of unity. We recently talked about unity and peace. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, again, brought it up last week in the message, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, giving every effort to make sure that we are, we are, we are staying unified Psalm chapter 133, verse 1, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell in together in unity. And this is what God's will is, what God's desire is. It's, it's that we would live in one accord, that we would be unified. And, and you say, well, yeah, but so we just, uh, we just throw out, well, I mean, what about, no, no, no. We are centered by truth and the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, if you're a child of God, he lives inside of you. If he lives inside of you, then we are to, to give every effort be, to, to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace is what Ephesians 4, 3 says. We are to give every effort to keep unified. Say, yeah, but I just, I, I don't know that we can be unified if we think differently. Yes, you, we can. I mean, these people in this first church had different opinions. They, they fell down on, on different places. But when it came to what has God said, how are we supposed to fix this? How are we supposed to address this? What are we supposed to do from this point forward? They turned to God's word and they were centered on truth and the Holy Spirit. This unity is what we're supposed to live in, especially when resolving issues. And I think that's where the church fails. I think that we just want to keep living our lives with our own opinions and our own feelings. And saying, instead of doing what Ephesians 4, 3 says, giving every effort, being eager 
to maintain the unity of the Spirit? What can I do to stay unified in the body of Christ? What can I do to stay unified in my mind and in my heart with the body of believers God has joined me to? What, what can I, am I missing something? Am I just kind of floating along? What am, what am I doing to help foster unity in the body? And so I just don't know if it's that big of a deal. It is, a, it is the, I think, one of the biggest deals in the church is unity. So how, do you, how can you say that? Well, look what's attached so often whenever there's anything that goes on. Unity. But it's not a surprise because it's from our own Lord's heart and prayer. John chapter 17 I'm just going to read a little bit. I encourage you to read the whole thing. I've said this many times before. Used this scripture many times before because it's such a powerful thing. This is a little snapshot into what Jesus, our God's heart. This is say when somebody prays for something, you kind of see the, 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 what's in the heart out of the abundance of the heart. The mouth speaks. This is what Jesus's heart was for us. Jesus spoke these things, lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hours come, glorify your son that the son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh to all who, uh, whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world even was. I've manifested your name to the men who you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I've given to them. And they receive them and truly understand that I came forth from you, and they believe that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you've given me. For they are yours. And the things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I'm no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, his followers. And I'm come to you, Holy Father, keep them, protect them, guard them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Jesus' prayer in the, 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 the followers of Christ in the church, in, 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 in Christians, his prayer, his desire was that God the Father would protect his people. Why? That they may be one, unified, even as we are. In the same way that Father and Son are one, completely the same, that is Jesus' desire for us in our unity. He would go on to pray it again as he, he would finish out that prayer. He would say, you know, I, I'm leaving them in the world, um, but, but I, I'm sending them out in the world. You know, I, I, don't, wanna, I don't want you to, to, to uh, keep them or take them out of the world. I want you to protect them from the evil one. I want you to sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. I, I want you, I want you to, to, to preserve them because I want them to be one and accomplish the work that I've, I've left them here to accomplish. And so, again, there's enough hostility and division outside of the body of Christ. The, the, the world is full, and the world is fueling and, and feeding, I think, a divisive mindset, even among Christians. Hostility. We, we, don't, need, we don't need that in this church. That's why our heart should be set on unity. 
That's why our hearts should be set on being together in one accord, even in especially resolving issues. Point number two is this, God is all-knowing in all things. Back in, in, in chapter 15, verse 8 is in, in our text, it says, God who, who knows the heart. And while this is, I think, important to point out that God knows the heart, it is a bigger, uh, broader stroke of truth that God knows everything. He is all-knowing in all things. He knows every heart. The Bible says he knows every thought that we think. He, he, he knows every hair on our head. He knows everything. He is all wise. He is all knowing. Luke chapter 12 verse 7, indeed, the very heads, hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear. You're more valuable than many sparrows. Romans chapter 11 verse 33, oh, the depth and the riches both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgment and unfathomable are his ways. And then he quotes the prophet, for who has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor? There's no way for us to even tap into the vast knowledge. He is all knowing. He is all wise. He knows everything. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? Who can tell God anything? And so I, I, I pointed this out because I, I, want you to, I want you to be encouraged with this. Because that's why they, they came together, they found the solution, and they sent an encouraging word to the believers there in, in Antioch and Cilicia. That this, is, this is something so important for us to get. God knows everything. We, we read this, uh, we, it was one of the verses of the, the day this last week, and as a family, like I said, we, we uh, read that verse and, and, and pray and stuff, and um, one of the verses was, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything in it, everything God is sovereign over. He knows everything. And so, what, what we said, why is that such an important thing? Why is it such an important thing that they pointed this out? To this counsel, that God who knows the heart, he knows everything because it gives us comfort. It gives us peace. It gives us assurance that there's nothing going on that's outside of the scope of God's knowledge. Nothing's happening in our world. Nothing's happening in our life. Nothing's happening in our mind, in our heart that God is not aware of. He knows it all. So again, to point back to that unity, he knows if our heart's in unity. He knows we can't pretend with God. We can pretend with each other. We cannot pretend with God. And if we're pretending with God, we are the problem. They pointed this out to, to this, this group of skeptics here. God knows the heart. Psalm 33, verse 13, for the Lord looks from heaven. He sees the sons of men from his dwelling place. He looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all. He who understands all their works. I love this verse in Psalm 147, verse 4. He counts the number of the stars. He gives names to all of them. Job 34, 21. For, the eyes, for his eyes are upon the ways of a man, and he sees all his steps. 
Again, why is this so important? Why is this so helpful? Why, why did they put this in this message that they, they were trying to convince everybody, all the skeptics with? Again, we can rest in knowing that since God is good and God is loving to the point of dying for our sins on the cross, if that's who he is, then he knows what we're going through. He knows the struggle. He knows, he knows the, 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 uh, the conflict. He knows the thoughts. He knows the worries. He knows everything in our hearts. He knows whose hearts will turn to him and whose hearts won't. And this truth of God's omniscience, this truth that God knows everything, was part of this speech that held that Jerusalem council captive. God is in control. He knows who, who are his. He has one way and to deny these things. And specifically, as they were talking to one another, to deny the testimony of changed lives would be foolish for those men and foolish for anyone today. God is still in the saving business. He's still saving lost people. He's still saving who men thinks are the unsavable. And God still knows the heart, every heart. Such an important point. That's why this next point is crucial. I think in light of what we're living in today in 2022, in light of what our world looks like, right? I mean, what's going on in our world has become chaotic. It's become divisive. It's become heated. It's become depressing and discouraging. And, and, and all of these things, like if you just look at the world, you're like, man, what has our world become? It becomes very discouraged. So that's why these truths are so important for us to remember and remind ourselves of. Point three is this. God is faithful to provide encouragement if we allow him. If we allow, allow him to. And God he, 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 again, he knows what's going on. He's, you, maybe you're sitting here this morning and saying, man, I, I am discouraged. I show up every Sunday. I, I go to my group. I try to read the Bible. I try to pray. I try to sing. I try to do all these things, but I still feel discouraged. Listen, it is something we have to allow God to do in our hearts. He's never failed. He will never fail. He has everything that we need if we allow him. The unified decision from the leaders of this church was read to the believers. And the Bible says, we read it, it was encouraging to them all. It, their, their unified agreement and their unified letter was an encouragement to believers who were in a discouraged state, in a confused state. The Thessalonian church was uh, one of those Gentile churches that were being harassed by these Judaizers. I mean, we've gone through the study, uh, this, the, the book of Thessalonians before, but they were facing times of severe, severe persecution. There was something that, that you and I probably, I don't know. I don't want to say that because I don't know what's around the corner. I don't know what's next year. I don't know what's in the next five years. I don't know. But they were facing severe persecution. And what God did was he gave Paul, through the Holy Spirit, inspiration to write a letter, two letters to him, First and Second Thessalonians. And in those letters were a lot of encouragement. One of the verses that he points this out is in chapter 5, verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. He, he was telling the, the, the believers there to, to, as he was encouraging them, to encourage one another. 
to, to lift each other up. You know, what, what is happening is, it's always been said that birds of a feather flock together. If you, if you get off on something, if you get stuck on something, if you get divided on something inside the church, I promise you this, know, know this, please hear this. You will find somebody else who feels the way you feel. And, and you say, well, how does that work? I, I know this. God is at work in the church, no question about it. But you know who is active and, and looking to do what he can do too? Satan. And you don't think that he is subtle? He is absolutely the most subtle being in all of the universe. So much so that he came to an innocent, sinless Eve and deceived her. So who are we to try to, 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 try to manage the attacks of the enemy alone. But, so what ends up happening is, and I, you, know, what I, you know what I don't like? I don't like what they're doing at that church now. At that church now. It's your church. <laughs> and the next thing you know, you're having a conversation with somebody who feels the same exact way about you uh, that, that you do. Or maybe somebody doesn't feel exactly the same way you do. Maybe they have a, 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 another issue. But then somehow, some amazing way, you start talking with somebody who didn't have the issue that you have, and the next thing you know, they start having the same issue that you're having in addition to the issue that, you, that they had. How does that work? Hmm, interesting. We should give ourselves, just the Scripture says, be eager to maintain the unity. Man, you start feeling off about something. You start feeling divided about something. You start feeling disconnected about something. You better get it done. You better get that fixed quick. Because you let that linger and Satan is going to pounce on that. And he's going to try to surround you with people. He'll try to put you in, in, in a group of people. Whatever he can do to try to foster that division so that you can't keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. He'll do everything he can do. Well, if the preacher would just stop preaching like this, or the preacher would start saying this, or stop saying that, or the music would start doing that, or if they start doing this, or start doing that, he, it, it will just happen if it's not happening already in your life right now. We are to give ourselves to encouraging one another and building each other up, not pulling each other apart or pulling each other away. Encourage each other. Build each other up. Be eager to maintain the unity of, uh, of the Spirit. Hebrews chapter 10, Therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, we can go to the throne of God because of the blood of Jesus by a new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. That is, through his flesh. He, 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 he bore our sins on the cross. And when he, he died and he shed his blood, it made a way for every single person to have open access to the throne of God if we have a relationship with him through faith in Christ. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from the evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And let us hold fast, hold fast the confession of our hope, our faith, without wavering. Don't, don't waver. For he who promised is faithful. What God has said, he will keep. And then he says this. Under this New Testament, under this New Covenant, we need to consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Not how to stir one another up to division, and heated opinions, to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but we need to be encouraging one another. And we need to do it all the more as you see the day drawing near.
That is the job. That's what we should be doing is encouragement. Every week, encouraging words. God's words are spoken from this pulpit. Every week in groups, they are, they are shared. There's conversations around God's word. And all of that's supposed to do is encourage us. But beyond all of that, there are, there are encouraging words and conversations that you may have with other believers in this church. Maybe they share it online. Maybe you get online and you share a verse and you share an encouragement about that verse. Shared in text and calls, hey, praying for you. Love you. Hey, this verse spoke to me today. Again, all of that God is using his people to do. But there's an obvious issue. There's an obvious issue with all of it. I said before, how can two people enter into maybe the same service or go to the same group or maybe even be in the same group text? Listen to the same preacher, read the same verse. And one walk out one way and one walk out the other. One is encouraged and one is not. One is convicted, one is not. One leaves with joy and unity and one feels down and disconnected. How? Is it that one person is saved and one person is not? Maybe. I don't know. God knows the heart. But maybe if they're both saved, one chose to let the Word of God do whatever He wanted it to do in their life. And the other did not. God provides all things and all good things. His Word is sufficient for our lives. It is, it is everything we need but we have to allow it. Psalm 119, 97. Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. The very familiar verse 105 from 119. Uh, uh, Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Hebrews chapter 4. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the vision of soul and spirit of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Listen, my words as a man will always fall flat. I don't have the words to, to speak right encouragement. I don't have the words to, to bring healing. I don't have those words that I, in, in myself I have nothing. But God's word will always be sufficient. God's word will always. This first church didn't have the entire canon of scripture that we have right now. We have this whole book that's put together. This was the apostolic age, the age that God was using to, to script and to write the New Testament, the new covenant. And we have this account that we're reading. But it's all God's spirit providing the encouragement. Verse 23, I want to read this and then we'll close. And they sent this letter by them. The apostles and the brethren who are the elders, the brethren in Antioch to the brethren in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia who are from, uh, from the Gentiles. Greetings. Since we have heard that some of our number whom we have given give no instruction have disturbed you with their words, unsettling your souls, it seemed good to us. Again, I want you to notice the unity. I want you to notice the spirit. And I want you to notice the reception in it. It seemed good to us having become of one mind to select men to send you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus. Therefore, we've sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to lay, lay to us, to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials, that you abstain from things sacrificed to idols, from blood, from strangled, and from fornication. If you keep yourselves free from these things, you'll do well. Farewell. So when, they sent away, so when they were sent away, they went down to Antioch and having gathered the congregation together, 
they delivered the letter. When they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. This morning, I want to encourage you to take these, these points and apply them in your life. Say, man, I, 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 don't, I don't know. It's, it, it's a difficult thing for me um, because I, I'm, I'm struggling with what's going on in our world. I'm struggling with uh, feeling connected. I'm st- struggling with feeling connected to the church. Um, listen, God is pleased and he's in it when we deal with things unified, just like the church did. It's an encouragement and comfort to know that God is all-knowing. He knows it all. He knows every single thing. He's not surprised. He's not confused. He's not baffled. He's not, he's not wondering what the next move is for his kingdom. He already has it all planned up. And that's encouraging. Every bit of his word is encouraging if we allow it to. And so if you're sitting here this morning feeling disconnected, feeling discouraged, maybe you just need to hit this altar. Maybe you're like one of those that I said a while ago. Maybe you found a couple people that y'all just gripe and complain about certain things because that's, your, that's what unifies you. Maybe you need to hit this altar. And say, God, forgive me. I, I don't want to take away from your church. I, I want to add to it. I, I want to be part of unity. I want to be a part of encouragement. I want to be a part of, of making sure that this body of believers is encouraged so that we can be effective in the mission because that's why we're still here. We carry out his mission. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for what you do in our lives, and thank you for your word. Thank you for this challenge this morning. Lord, we know that uh, you are all-knowing and that your word is encouraging. And I pray that we would see what this first church was doing and handling such a big thing. When we read this uh, in 2022, with, with most of us being Gentiles and the church being thousands of years old, it really doesn't seem like a big deal to us. But then it, it was a, a monumental issue. It was the biggest issue of the day in the church. And we see how they handled it. And so I pray that we would have the wisdom enough to see whatever the biggest issue of the day is for us, that we would handle it the way that the church did in the beginning. That we would handle it in unity. We would handle it in faith and confidence and knowing that you know everything, and that we would take the encouragement from you as you give it, even in the midst of great difficulty, even in the, great, in the midst of, of great uh, discouraging times. Lord, help us to be your people following your word. It's blessed now as we respond in this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'll stand, as he sings, I want to invite you to come.